Good morning. I uh, often like to teach our youth through questions, and so I'm going to start with a question this morning, but don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to respond from your seat, so you can just think about this as I ask these questions. When was the last time you were surrounded by a group of people that didn't think like you, act like you, or certainly didn't have the same values as you? Have you ever traveled to another country and you didn't speak the language that was spoken exclusively there? And have you ever taken maybe even a visit in our own country, going to an area that looks and acts completely different from the Twin Cities, like maybe the rural backwoods of the South or uh, the Western deserts? Or maybe even in our own town, when was the time that you attempted to socialize with people from a different circle as your normal circles or uh, people from outside of your neighborhood? Maybe even a more relevant example that might touch more of us is have you ever found yourself in a room full of people who started talking politics and you realized you were the only person in that room that voted for a different presidential candidate last fall than the rest of the room? Does it, does it get any more uncomfortable than that setting, right? So when was a time you were surrounded by a group of people that didn't think like you, act like you, or have the same values as you. So how did you feel in that moment? Were you afraid to move the wrong way, or do the wrong thing, or say something that could be considered offensive? Life is easiest when we're around people that think like us, and act like us, and talk like us. And this is especially true when it comes to our faith. And if you're truly honest with ourselves, I would venture that most of us who are Christian are uncomfortable when we know we're surrounded by people who oppose the Christian faith. So when you find yourself surrounded by those who live and think and act differently than you, what do you think? What goes through your mind? Do you, do you ever justify it and justify your thoughts by thinking that there's no chance I'll ever have a relationship with those people and they'll never believe the things that I believe and they certainly won't believe in God the way that I believe in God. And, Well, this is exactly what the prophet Jonah was thinking when he was confronted in fulfilling a prophetic role of proclaiming the work of God to those in Nineveh. So most of us, most of you know that I'm a new hire here, uh, and as Kara said, with the student ministries department at the church. And one of the things that I love to do, especially with our high school students, is to take these Sunday school stories that we're so familiar with and then revisit them. And I think as adults, that can be even more fun. So I'm excited to get to be with you guys this morning and look a little bit at Jonah. Um, And I rarely teach younger children, and I haven't studied childhood education in any means, but one of the things that I've noticed as we talk and as I see people speak with younger kids is there's, there's a visual aid that we use in these stories to help them remember something. So when we talked about Adam and Eve, we often in our minds have this vision of an apple, right? And with Noah, we clearly think of the ark and the, and the rainbow. And then Moses, there's, there's two stone tablets and there's clearly five rules listed evenly on each one as he holds them. And then uh, Joseph has this colorful coat that's the pivotal part of the Joseph story right? And then, at least for me, when I go through and think about the fruit of the Spirit, I still think of apples and oranges and bananas, and that's certainly a different kind of fruit than what we're talking about. But we have these memory cues. And with Jonah, 
we always think about the whale. And whether you grew up in the church or not, when you hear the name Jonah, you immediately think of a whale. Well, the problem with this as adults is that these images stick with us and we feel like we know these stories so well that we don't go back and look at them and revisit them. And sometimes we miss the more important parts of the story or other parts that are equally as important. Uh, and so what if we removed these visual cues? What if we look at the Bible stories with fresh eyes? And I'm not asking you to redefine scripture by doing this, but I'm asking you to possibly focus on other parts that you may have never read before. So what if we look at the book of Jonah and pick up right after the big fish story? At the start of the book of Jonah, we see God telling the prophet to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against the wickedness of the city. And then Jonah literally runs the opposite direction. He gets on a boat and heads to Tarshish, which is the total opposite side of Nineveh. Uh, and then you guys know what happens next, right? He's on the boat, and then the part we're all familiar kicks in. Uh, did you ever stop, though, at that point in the part after the fish to ask, what was it about Nineveh that Jonah was so reluctant to do? I mean, he's a prophet, so what he does regularly is preaches a direct word from God to people. But at this point, he's like, nope, I'm going the other way. I'm checking out, I'm clocking out, I'm not being a prophet this time. So what was it that caused him to do this? As we read the book of Jonah, we're, told, we're not told a lot about the differing evils that it says that went on in Nineveh, but the city is mentioned numerous times throughout the Bible. Zephaniah refers to the downfall of Nineveh, and nearly the entire book of Nahum speaks against Nineveh. Nineveh was the largest city in the world until the rise of Babylon, and the ambitions of large cities are usually breeding grounds for power and corruption and dominance. Nahum's illustrative language of Nineveh suggests that this is also a city of slavery and prostitution. The Jonah account then also talks about it's a city of violence. Furthermore, when we hear and see God in the Old Testament talking about destroying a civilization, it's usually because... There's no hope left. Even the smallest little bit of hope is gone for the people in that civilization. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah and the world before the flood. So whether you believe the account of Jonah to be an accurate historical record or maybe you see it as a story that teaches us a lesson, the narrative is still the same. Jonah did not want to go to this city. And scripture doesn't tell us exactly why Jonah didn't want to go, but knowing something about Nineveh, we can guess that it may be because Jonah was uncomfortable with the actions and with the culture of the people within this city. And Jonah knew the difficulties of proclaiming repentance amongst followers of God, but to proclaim this to those who did not even believe in God likely felt like a hopeless cause. Not to mention the fear of being one who's going into the city to declare destruction. So either he's going to be received as a crazy man or a, or a messenger of war. So you can guess that the way the Ninevites would respond would not go well. So as I said earlier, our scripture passage today picks up after the big fish. So turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 is where we're picking up this story. I'll also have it on the screen for those of you who would prefer to read that. Um, so as we read this passage, notice the action of Jonah and notice who the Ninevites responded to within the text. And we'll start at verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh 
and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So did we read that Jonah went in and went around passing out tracts to people and giving the four spiritual laws? Or did we see that he set up a soup kitchen so that people would come and eat and he could deliver the gospel? Or did we see that he put a, on a big Hebrew music concert and invite everyone to it and they held an altar call afterwards, right? No, we don't see this at all. What we see is Jonah doesn't even go in and directly speak of God, and we can assume that Jonah was preaching of repentance, but what's interesting is that this text emphasizes that Jonah's words were those of destruction, and it does not list giving a testimony of Jonah talking of the Lord, nor really giving words of salvation to this people, which is actually what God's intent was for Nineveh. Jonah really is just delivering to them what sounds like a threat. So how would, how would the Ninevites respond to this? How do you think they should respond as they're hearing these words of Jonah? Well, as you can imagine, he, he may have thought beforehand they did, that they wouldn't go well. And how they respond to Jonah, they don't really respond to Jonah. They're actually responding to God is what the text says. Verse 5 doesn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. It says that they believed God. And some translations will say that this, they believed God, then also meant they believed in God. And I think as we read on and see these texts that this is true. And then after this, we see something that compels the entire city to make a fast and sweeping shift in their relationship, in their reaction to God. So let's continue at verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne and he took off his royal robes and then covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So the king, too, has been affected by this movement. And could it be that he's retaliating and surrendering in fear? And some would say that he is. But as I look at this, I'm seeing a city that was once the largest city in the entire world. And this text claimed that it took three days to cross. So at that time, it was huge. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's a powerful city with a powerful government. And I highly, highly doubt a king in this position would crumble in fear of one man speaking of a God that the king didn't even believe in. So how did a morally corrupt metropolis see a sweeping movement towards the Hebrew God? 
Was it by the eloquent preaching of a faithful man who created, who cared deeply for the people of this city? No, not at all. God used a person who was fearful. God used a person who believed there was no hope for this city. And God used a person whose trust in God only went so far. So although this man had little desire to make a positive impact on a city needing God's redemption, God used him as a catalyst for the Holy Spirit to come in and do the work. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. If Jonah had done this on his own, we would have left it in the hands of a weak man. God knew the spirit would work through him. And Jonah wasn't the one that saved the Ninevites, but he had to be willing to go where God called him to go. So what I also see here, I don't see the speed of a man moving around from each and every person, bringing him into some sort of discussion or discipleship. But we see the swift moving of the Holy Spirit. And scripture tells us the Holy Spirit moves like a rushing wind. And that the Holy Spirit moves through all creation. And here we even see that the animals of Nineveh are to fast and wear sackcloth. Uh, Whitney and I used to have a dog that was too smart for his own good. And uh, if we were to require this dog to fast, he would get incredibly ornery. And not that we did, but I'm sure if we did, he would get incredibly ornery and uh, be really annoying about it. And the last time I tried putting an outfit on him, uh, I about lost my right hand in the process of doing that. And so this is a humorous concept in my mind. But man, as we think about the Spirit, how the Spirit has power that people apart from God do not So if God had relied alone on Jonah's strength and trust, this would have been a very, very short story that ended in the land of Tarshish. Yet God called upon Jonah to be a part of fulfilling a plan of salvation. When I was in college, I played bass in a band, and the band was made up of Christians. And uh, when we started out, we played at different youth groups and churches and some Christian festivals. And then as time went on, we had the opportunity and got invited to play at some more regular clubs and and, uh, bars and stuff in different cities. And at first, I was really nervous to do this because although our, our lyrics were not overtly Christian, there was still a subtle message of that. And I feared how that would be received by people in a setting that really were coming out to help foster the, the enjoyment of the weekend through the pleasures that you find uh, in the downtown area of a city in the club atmosphere. Um, but what was surprising to me was far too often, well, not too often, but very often, people would come up after the show to ask about my faith and ask, like, why there was something different about what they saw in each member of the stage. One night specifically, I remember a couple coming up and saying, are you Christian? Because there's just something about you that says that you're Christian. And it just blew my mind that this worked uh, and how the Holy Spirit worked amongst this setting. So I know it's not the same story as Jonah and Nineveh. And we didn't get on stage and call for repentance of the drunken crowds that night. And we certainly didn't travel to a new town and call destruction upon it for its evil ways. Um, But however, my story is similar to Jonah. And then it's a story of going into a place that seemed, in my mind, hopeless to share the gospel. But by going, I could then allow the Holy Spirit to work through my reluctant and my skeptical self. So what goes through your mind when you see a community of people that seem hopeless to deliver the gospel message to. 
Does the, does the challenge seem impossible to accomplish? Do you fear a culture shock of doing so? Or do you fear hostile rejection in those moments? Do you fear any of these things by actually immersing yourself into that culture that's different than yours and thinks different things from you? And do you feel inadequate to reach people that no one else has been able to reach for these people about Christ before? Well, here's the good news about the story of Jonah, the message of Jonah, is that sometimes we just need to go. Lay all our worries and fears aside and then just go and then let the Holy Spirit do the work. We need to be willing to go to those who most need Christ, the ones who we think would be the most hostile and resistant to the message that God wants us to deliver. And our fear and skepticism mustn't keep us from going. As Kara said earlier, my title at City Church is Student Ministries uh, pastor and Young Life partner. And as part of my role on the Young Life side of things as we're developing this partnership is I spend a good amount of my, my week uh, as a community volunteer in the classrooms at Southwest High School. And it's definitely a different ministry environment from what we see here in the walls of this church. And I love it, but it's so completely different. And, and I would venture to say that it's not that much different from the environments that many of you in this room are going into every day as well. It's indeed uncomfortable to go into areas that are often even void of Christ, but being the catalyst to bring the Holy Spirit into these places is essential for restoration of human relationship, and it's essential for the restoration of our relationship with God. So when you're uncomfortable, and remember, just remember, it's not you're doing the work. And it's certainly not you saving people. However, God needs you to be present and willing. Pray each day, asking God to show you where the moments are that you can show the light of Christ. These moments are sometimes done with just actions, and other times they are done with words. Be on the constant lookout for those moments where it's acceptable to share about Jesus, even if it's in just little ways. Jonah was called to speak the messages he was to the masses as a prophet of God. And our role is different. Our role is to, we are disciples of Christ and to walk along people as disciples of Christ. But like Jonah, we probably still run the other direction. We need to face our nerves and more importantly, overcome our skepticism towards those we think are hopeless to receiving God's saving message. God's power through the moving Holy Spirit is greater than any resistance and opposition that we may ever face. And the power of the Holy Spirit is certainly more powerful than any ability that you may or may not possess. As kids, we're all surprised that Jonah was able to sur survive after being engulfed by a fish. And as an adult, I find this text in Jonah even more surprising. This message of Jonah is to be surprised at what the Holy Spirit can do through you and amongst those that you least expect. It's for you to push all fears and skepticism aside and just go. Let's pray. Lord God, show us this week where we can share your love. Help remove our fears to enter us into relationship with those who appear hopeless, uh, those who 
and just clear our skeptical minds. Give us windows to share your love in our actions and share your restoring grace in our words. May we stop running, but rather be willing to follow your spirit to work through us, Lord. May we let go of our control. May we take the time to look and may we take the time to listen. In your name we pray, amen.